I'm Nina, your host for the See the Upside podcast. My journey to living a purposeful life started with divorce through what I can only describe as a total teardown reconstruction of my entire life. I became determined to explore ways to find positivity and inspiration in the challenges and use them as stepping stones to a fuller, more purposeful life. I found there's always something good to notice and appreciate, even in the hardest moments. Our conversations here dive into all the ways to live your very best life, divorced or not. Through interviews with worldwide industry experts and innovators, we dive deep into topics like personal growth, healing, health and wellness, spirituality, friendship, falling in love, financial well-being, and vulnerability, just to name a few. Basically, how to completely own and up-level your life in every possible way. We're here to support each other on our journeys, laugh, and find positivity and inspiration in all of the things. We're so glad you're here. Thanks for joining the conversation, and I really hope you enjoy the show. Let's dive in. Our guest today is Dr. Shannon Bennett, the naturopathic doctor behind The Healthy Psyche, the founder of Tackling Anxiety Naturally Protocol, and the author of The Root Cause Anxiety Guide. Dr. Bennett is in private practice in Scottsdale, Arizona, and sees patients locally and at a distance through telemedicine, group programs, and online education. The Healthy Psyche's mission is to bridge the gap between mental health and natural healing. This passion was born out of Dr. Bennett's own struggle with polycystic ovarian syndrome, depression, anxiety, and a traumatic brain injury. She now helps others find the healing she has through the Healthy Psyche and through the nonprofit Hope for Healing, which provides natural healing to brain injury survivors. You will find Dr. Bennett relatable, lighthearted, upbeat, positive, and an incredible inspiration. She's very active on Instagram with fun and eye-catching videos and posts making anxiety, burnout, and other mood disorders incredibly relatable and offering support and solutions. Our conversation covers everything from her journey to almost accidentally becoming a naturopathic doctor to her own struggles, to her favorite modalities, and how she drills down to the core problem so she can help her patients navigate the path to healing. I've always been fascinated with natural healing and learned so much speaking with Dr. Bennett. I can't wait for you to hear this incredible episode that sheds light on emotional struggles that most of us deal with at some point in our lives. Dr. Bennett is a true change maker and innovator, and I just can't wait to see what she does next. Let's get to it. All right. Well, hi, Dr. Bennett. Thank you so much for joining the podcast today. We're so excited to have you on See the Upside. Appreciate you joining. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Yeah. So we met on social media and really had so much fun kind of learning about who you are and what you do. You're so, so good at making it, you know, your practice interesting and accessible. So I'm really excited to just kind of dig into what it is that you do and how you help people and your beautiful story. 
So let's start with what your practice does. What do you actually do? Yeah. So it's, our mission is pretty simple in that we like to provide education to bridge that gap between mental health and natural healing. And so the best way to do that is through docere, which is one of the naturopathic principles. And docere is Latin for to teach or doctor as teacher. And so the way that we do that is through online community, through our Facebook group, free resources. I have courses. And then also one-on-one with my patients, we do a lot of educating and teaching and, and teaching you how to heal yourself. So you don't have to rely on us. Oh my gosh. Well, there's so much I love about this because I think that healing ourselves is so important to Mm -hmm. take not only responsibility, but empowering ourselves to take care of ourselves, whether it's mental, physical combination of the two. And I also love the shift that I think the American culture is making to embrace more naturopathic, more holistic, not always going towards pharmaceuticals and also treating symptoms. And that's something that I notice with your teachings too, is going to the root cause of issues and not Mm -hmm. just focusing on treating the symptoms. So we'll talk a little bit more about that, but to back up, you're an MD, correct? No, I'm a naturopathic doctor. So ND is the, or in Arizona, we also can go by NMD. So naturopathic medical doctor. So that's, I went to a four-year accredited uh, medical school that is for naturopathic medicine. So we learn all the same things as an MD, but we also learn all the natural modalities and we have a completely different approach. So um, you can go to a functional MD doctor and they might have more understanding of specialty labs and more natural products to use, but the way that we go about things is very different. So the naturopathic medicine, we follow the therapeutic model or the therapeutic order. And so it's really a foundation of supporting that innate self-healing ability that your body does have and letting your body do the healing. And it, we can work our way up. And if your body's not able to do what we need it to do, there is then pharmaceutical intervention in Arizona, we can prescribe. And then also surgical if needed in Arizona, we can do some minor surgeries as well. So It's a little bit different than MD, but there's a lot of overlap. Okay. And how did you end up going into this practice? What drove you to go this route? Yeah, it definitely wasn't a plan for me at all. I never in a million years thought I would be a doctor, but when I was really young, I struggled with a lot of gastrointestinal issues and then kind of just snowballed into more health issues throughout my life. I have a hormonal disorder called PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Many women have it. So a lot of your audience, I'm sure knows about it. And then I dealt with depression as well. And it was through the depression that I really got interested in just eating better and taking care of my body that I was like, oh my gosh, everything's healing. And who would have thought, (laughs) who would have thought if I would just take care of myself that I could actually feel better. And, you know, I, I found that natural healing after not doing so well through the conventional model of medicine. I'm five foot, which you might not be able to tell on Instagram, but I'm only five foot. So I will have every single side effect to every single drug always, because I'm just a smaller human and they weren't really meant for me. And it just, I, when I went in through the conventional model, I came out with more prescriptions, more side effects. I was sicker than actually getting better. 
And so I, that's kind of how I went down the route of natural healing. And just by, you know, life chances and serendipity, I've, I found naturopathic medicine because I'm from the Midwest. So this is not like a common thing to find there. <laughs> it's definitely getting more well-known, but I found a random girl that was in my town. I actually was just hanging out in the town I went to college in and talking to her and she was, she was in a group of friends with me and she said, yeah, I think I'm going to go to school for naturopathic medicine. I said, what is that? And then we actually had a family friend who's an MD and she spent 10 years in New Zealand working at a naturopathic clinic. And so I told her, I'm really into this natural stuff. And I really felt this call on my heart that I need to like spread the gospel. Like you can heal, like you actually can heal. And I just didn't know how to go about doing it. That MD that was a family friend was like, you should really look into naturopathic medicine. So it kind of just all came together. And then I went through the four years of medical school and residency. And it was, it's such a passion filled and purposeful moment and mission in my life. So, you know, those four years were so special and to be in a group of people that are so like-minded and understand you're learning all this stuff that you're so excited about. It was just amazing. And then after residency, I had a traumatic brain injury. And so through my traumatic brain injury, the biggest symptom that came up for me, I have many, but the biggest one was severe anxiety and panic attacks. I had up to 50 panic attacks a day in the beginning. And that was like how we found out that I even had a brain injury. Cause at first the anxiety, I was like, Oh, maybe I'm just like going through life as an adult. Anxiety is normal. <laughs> and then it got yeah, worse. Well, it's hard to know when you don't have yeah. a comparison, it's just your life. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, and when your brain isn't thinking clearly, <laughs> that wasn't, yeah, wasn't well, that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. So, um, Yeah. So I got a really intimate relationship with anxiety over the last three years and I had to take a year off of work and it was, it was really hard and really bad. And it's taken me all of two and a half years to fully heal from that brain injury. And there's still things that are growing and stretching. Like I have a baby brain now, so it's still like being worked out. And sometimes it's sore, like it, like I was mentioning to you last week. And so, but through that, I really, was like, okay, I, I have it even more on my heart to spread this gospel of hope that you can heal. And so I really wanted to get into the space of anxiety and help others. And so I built out courses that really hit those root cause issues that anxiety presents and how can we address them and heal them so that people can find the same healing I found through naturopathic medicine. So how, first of all, what, did you have an accident? Like something happened? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, was wakeboarding. Um, oh, with, okay. Yeah. No one wears helmets when you wakeboard, but like no. you really should. <laughs> right. I don't know why it's not a thing, but yeah. Um, well, but you yeah. fall down all the time in wakeboarding. Yeah. That's like, like for water that's skiing. Right. I've done water skiing. And when you fall, Mm-hmm. I'm surprised more people don't like tear their ACL, but your head, of course, too, is vulnerable. Oh yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Okay. I kind of did a, you know, like the end of the day you crash and you're like, okay, we're done for the day. And so it was another end of the day wipeout and the back of the board came back from behind me. So I kind of like scorpioned oh, and it hit me in the head. Oh no. So busting it open had not terribly, like didn't have to have surgery, but had staples and And the crazy thing is, even if I didn't hit my head as bad as my TBI was, 
people have very similar situations when they just have whiplash injury that can cause a brain injury. So you don't even have to physically have the head hit to have that kind of a injury. Okay. Well, I have like a million questions because there's a long story. Well, no, I mean, there's, you've been through so much and I wish everybody could see your face. They will, when they go to your social media, you know, to Instagram and follow you, it's the healthy psyche, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause you have the cutest videos. You're just so darling and look so happy and you just glow and you're positive. It's almost impossible to imagine that you've suffered so much. I mean, the stomach and GI issues, the depression, and then this brain injury and the anxiety, like you would never know that looking at you, but what I think it is, is what you were saying, which is it's, it creates so much hope, you know, it just shows that when you kind of hone in and focus and create a plan and take care of yourself that you can turn your life around and change. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of part of what see the upside. And my whole story is all about too, is that really, really terrible, hard things happen to really good people all the time. And there's not always a reason it's not always fair, but we can take charge and own it and heal and create something totally new. And what can come out of it is incredible beauty, like your programs and your education and your practice that you're offering now is, is just amazing. So I love that, but let's talk a little bit about like specifically your anxiety. And one reason I want to talk about that is because I think anxiety is so prevalent. I know it's prevalent in the community of divorce of women going through divorce. It's prevalent in young people. I think we all have a little bit of that with all this pandemic stuff going on. So how did you approach that and how did you heal yourself? And we can also talk about your program too. You have an, mm-hmm. a program through your website that offers resources and a, you know, a path to healing as well. But what mm-hmm. did your journey look like? Well, my journey was very rocky <laughs> because it, I didn't even realize what was happening as it was happening. And there was a lot of barriers for me because I think when you get into neurology, especially like a brain injury, you're like, oh, this is like big time. Even me, the naturopathic doctor was like, I I should just go to the ER and whatever they say is gold. And I shouldn't even think about, I kind of took my expertise of myself out of myself and I gave it to the doctor. And that's one thing that I really try to train my patients never to do while you see me, I am a doctor and I'm an expert in natural medicine and in the body healing, but I am not an expert in you. And so you have to show up as the expert of you and let me know what's going on. And I have to validate everything that you're saying because you're experiencing it. And so I did the thing I always say not to do. And I was just like, well, if the ER said I'm fine, then I'm fine. And so when I went to the ER, they, you know, didn't even do a CT scan. They didn't do an MRI. They didn't do a mini mental status exam. They just kind of sent me on my way and said, you'll be fine. There was no follow-up. No, you should check in with your PCP, nothing. So you know what I've noticed about the ER, because we had an ER incident recently is I think the goal of the ER is to get you healthy enough to leave. 
they're not really looking at your overall health and wellness picture. Like they're just trying to stabilize you. Do you think that's true? I mean, that is kind that's the point of the emergency department, but at the same time, there is a due diligence to make sure that people, when they get home, they're actually still stabilized, right? Yeah. That they follow up. Oh, someone up, but let their intestines still bleed. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. So I, no, you're totally fine. But I mean, that's, that is how I felt. So, so there was a long period about six months that I didn't know I had a brain injury. These symptoms were coming on and just getting worse. Really common with brain injury is that you don't have any symptoms for about a week or two after the actual accident or the incident. And so I had no symptoms and then I had all these symptoms. So it didn't, I, I didn't, think that it was the, I was like, Oh, little kids hit their head and have to get staples all the time. I'm fine. So I just didn't put it together. So Again, what were I, your symptoms? You had anxiety. What, it, what did that yeah. look like? Mm-hmm. So it was actually quite a laundry list. So to list them all off, I probably won't hit them all, but I had like convulsions. I had insomnia. I had tremors. I had heat intolerance, which Arizona worst place to be. Um, and then I had dizziness. I had cognition issues. I had it emotionalism, but that doesn't really encompass what it actually felt like or was. I would sit on the phone with my mom. I'm not married. I don't have kids. I don't have anyone around me. So I would call my mom back home and I would just be like stuck on something. And I would just go in circles around this same thing over. I can't even think of an example, but let's say it's like my phone's not working and she could say, Mm -hmm. okay, turn it, try, try turning it off and turn it back on. I'm like, but my phone's not working. And I would just go in these incessant circles and I couldn't like get my mind out of them, which wasn't, you know, you could think of anxiety and intrusive thoughts as part of that, but it was more like the cognition. My brain couldn't like take it to the next thought. And so there would be times where if I was upset, like even throughout the brain injury healing, realizing that I had a brain injury, realizing I'm like a new minted doctor that's out of work and I'm on disability and how am I going to get by in life? And I thought I had reached my peak. What happened? <laughs> and so like when I was going through all that loss and that grief, those emotions would come up and I would just get stuck because my cognition couldn't move on to like, but we're going to be okay, but we're healing, but we're getting better. Like I couldn't get there. Yeah. So there was just a lot really in the really like, relationship interpersonal part of my brain, like the prefrontal cortex, which controls your thoughts, your ideas, your sense of self, your imagination, your everything is all there. And that was the part that was most injured because I got hit in the back of the head. And so my brain shifted forward and hit the front of the brain. And so there was lots of symptoms, (laughs) blood pressure issues, heart issues, dysautonomia. So it was a lot, but it was a really rocky road throughout the anxiety to really find out what was going on, get a good diagnosis, which took you know, six months. But once I finally figured out what was going on, I went and saw a neurologist that specialized in post-concussion syndrome. So if you've had a concussion longer than 30 days, you've now crossed over to post-concussion syndrome. And he, within 15 minutes, he was like, yeah, you don't have anxiety. You don't have adjustment. He's like, they think it would be adjustment disorder, but you, your brain has been rocked and injured and your whole world has shifted. Like, of course you're having panic attacks every single day. Of course, this is how the body is responding. And so they did a lot of, I did a bit of treatment with them, but I've done a lot more on the naturopathic side after leaving their care. Really, once I got through to the diagnosis, I mean, getting a correct diagnosis takes away a lot of anxiety. And that's a thing that I'm very passionate about. I see so many patients 
who come into my office and they are diagnosed and labeled with generalized anxiety disorder or major depressive disorder or even bipolar. And really, when we get to the root of what's going on, you have a hormonal imbalance, you have no nutrients. And so your metabolic functions can't even happen. And you're hypothyroid because your body's not processing because it has no nutrients to work with. And so when we fix those things up, you don't have depression, you don't have anxiety. And so a big thing that people don't know is the DSM five, which is the diagnostic manual for mental health. It says underneath every single disorder, this disorder, like to diagnose this, it cannot be due to any other medical condition. So when you go to your PCP and you're saying, Hey, I've been crying a lot. I can't get out of bed. I, you know, all these symptoms, what you would describe as depression and they don't do a workup. They don't look for the root cause and they just give you, you know, a hand written assessment of a PHQ nine or a G87, which are these little check marks for how often do you feel this way? And they're like, yep, that's depression and send you on your way with your prescription. Those aren't accurate diagnoses. And so we really need to shift our understanding to understanding that anxiety and depression are just symptoms of something else going on. And so with me, that was really helpful to get that diagnosis of a brain injury. Like, okay, I'm not broken because that's that whole mental health stigma. You feel broken and this is something that's wrong and we can fix this. And so that gave me a lot of empowerment and excitement to really do something about it. And so then I really dug into my natural health doctors and naturopathic friends and was like, help me, help me get back to who I was. And I love them dearly for that because they were not willing to let me go until I was hundred percent back to myself. And so it was a journey and it's still a journey. It's a lot of exposing your brain, stretching your brain and, and then letting it rest and recover. A lot of it is calming down like almost hundred percent of it is calming down the nervous system. When you have a brain injury or you're just dealing with severe anxiety, your body is in this fight or flight survival sympathetic overdrive. And it kind of gets the gear gets stuck and it's stuck there. And so really teaching my body how to come back into parasympathetic rest, digest, relaxing states and teaching my body, like when it's a good time to go into sympathetic, like you're getting cut off in traffic and you're about to get hit. Okay. We need your sympathetic right. drive, <laughs> and yeah. then, but we also need to train the body to like e- be able to easily go back into parasympathetic when you've exited the highway and you're safe. Right. Yeah. So it, it's been a long journey and there's a lot of factors into it. So hot. Like, can you give an example of what you do? Is it like meditation or, oh, okay. like you the know, exercising? like, yeah. What are some of the things that some of the big ones that helped you? Yeah. Most? So again, diagnosis is so important. So for me and my brain injury, a big issue was blood flow. Your brain should be getting 80% of your blood flow and mine was getting 20. So I had to do a lot of very prescribed exercises to get that blood flow back back to my brain. You can't just like go run a marathon or go run a mile even because that much blood flow is too strong. It could be harmful to the brain. So you have to like slowly ease it in. Also, I had dysautonomia, which is your nervous system just is out of whack completely. And so if I walked up like five steps, my heart rate would go to 240, which of course would cause a panic attack. And so learning how to fix those diagnoses, I also had a lot of vision. I had, I think five vision diagnoses. So like my eyes weren't properly working, which made driving terrible. I I actually, that's where I had the most panic attacks was on a plane and driving. 
were like the worst panic attacks. And it was because my brain was like, something is not working right. This is not okay. So I had to do a lot of uh, vision therapy, vestibular therapy. So those were all like the brain things. But as far as the nervous system and the anxiety, calming down the nervous system is just like the key goal with brain injury, with severe anxiety. And so I did craniosacral therapy, which is a therapy. It's, it's uh, kind of in the same realm as adjustments, like a chiropractic adjustment, but it's really working on the skull and on the bones of the skull. And we know those fuse after childhood, after you're, you know, you're a baby, they fuse, but they are kind of like the foundations of a house and they can shift and adjust. And they also can, you know, expand and, and get really compacted in relation to stress, to obviously trauma to the head. So really just having a, my a colleague actually work on my skull and that allowed my cerebral spinal fluid to kind of just calm down and relax and my nervous system to kind of calm down and relax. But homeopathy is a huge therapeutic that I use in my office. Um, I work inside of Integrative Mental Health Center and we have, I think, six doctors in there, all naturopathic doctors, and we all specialize in mental health for different niches. And we all use homeopathy as our one of our main therapeutics, not the only, but one of them. Homeopathy is a special modality of um, natural healing, and it was actually started in Germany. I have a huge passion of it, so I'll try not to nerd out too much. Um, but... No, I love it. It's <laughs> so fascinating. It's yeah. awesome. I want to have you on here for like five more podcasts to niche down <laughs> into all these different areas because it's, yeah. I think everybody's going to love hearing about this. And it's so the, the shift that the world is making, it, it's all the things you're talking about being more self-aware, not just treating symptoms with pharmaceuticals. And I don't think we need pharmaceutical solutions for everything. I mean, there's a way to integrate them in certain circumstances, but mm-hmm. there are a lot of other ways to go too. So totally. yeah, keep if you going. Your... I want to hear about homeopathy. Oh yeah. Oh, well it's, it's a really great modality. And what I love about it is that unlike a medication or even a supplement, it's a signal to your body to heal. So we're not adding 500 milligrams of magnesium or a pharmaceutical or anything that's going to be adjusting your, your biochemistry really, and asking for that to cause a chain reaction to result in, you know, either like lowered blood pressure or relaxed muscles or what have you. It's actually just a signal to your body and to your innate ability to heal, to step back into healing or get closer to healing. And so it's a, it's a very different way of medicine. It's, it's really fun to train my patients and like, okay, this is a good sign. This is, we're getting closer to healing or train them. Yeah. The homeopathy is working really well for you. You're starting to heal. So you don't need to take anymore. And they're like, wait, but if it's working so well, why do I stop taking it? So it's really fun to teach patients that like you should graduate to healing and to getting out of needing me. And like all the time, obviously if you need a checkup or whatever, but really allowing the body to heal itself. That's homeopathy is the best way to do that. So can you give an Mm -hmm. example, like a, like, let's say someone who, I don't know, like what would be, uh, like, what does it look like? Feel in that way. Yeah. Yeah. So homeopathic remedies, there's over, I think there's over 6,000 now homeopathic remedies and they're all made from natural substances. So like plants, Mm -hmm. there's even one I took this morning that's um, natural muriaticum and it's coming from salt. So there's, they're 
diluted down. The natural substance is diluted down past Avogadro's number, like very, very dilute. And it is put on a little sugar pellet. So we give you this little vial of about mm-hmm. 80 to hundred sugar pellets. And the medicine is on that. So you just take two to three pellets. It might be a day. It might be per week, just depending on you and how your body responds to it. And as you take it, it's just signaling to your body to heal. It signals to your body to heal. So the good thing is it's covering all of your symptoms. And the way that we decide which remedy you need is based off of how you're presenting. So the remedies are used on the law of like cures like. So we take a remedy that if we had a max dose of this natural substance, it would cause certain symptoms. So let me give you a a concrete example. So arsenicum album is a remedy and it's actually made from arsenic. Now we know arsenic poisons you, right? And can kill you. And so when somebody's had a max dose of arsenic, the symptoms up, like upon them dying, what are those symptoms? They get really restless. They're pacing back and forth. They usually have diarrhea and vomiting at the exact same time. They're really That's hot. Horrible. Their heart rate is racing. Yeah. It's like, it's not a fun like way to end your life. But if someone's presenting in my office and they have severe anxiety and they're pacing back and forth and they're talking really fast and they're very restless and they like, maybe they also have like stomach aches and they lie in the fetal position on their bed and they're really hot and they only can take sips of of, uh, cold water. Like, okay, that is someone who looks just like someone who's dying from arsenic, right? So taking the law of similars, like cures like, I'm going to give them arsenicum album, which is a remedy of a very small dose of arsenic that's been diluted so far, you can't even pick it up in your blood and put on a sugar pellet. They're going to take that. And that is almost like putting a mirror up to the body and saying, what are you doing? Get back to healing. And so the body is like, Oh, rebound. We need to get back to healing. Wow. That's so interesting. I love that. Yeah. So homeopathy is one of the modalities that you're using. Mm -hmm. What are, what are other ones? Others. Yeah. The big thing is hormones. I think this gets overlooked so much. And the nice thing is that it's becoming kind of trendy to talk about and to investigate. So people are really educating themselves now, but with my brain injury and with just anxiety, depression, burnout, hormones are so important. So for me, I did a lot of hormonal healing. And like I mentioned, I had a hormone or I have a hormonal disorder. And so anything you've had prior to a brain injury, it's kind of like magnified or kind of flares up after the brain injury. So for me, a lot of it was really just rebalancing and fixing my hormones. And to the point of medicine and medication, if you don't have a thyroid, we need to give you thyroid hormone, right? You can't just like not have it. It's vital for your living. Or if you're so burnt out that your cortisol, your stress hormone is so high that now it's converted into cortisone and you're just dragging and you're barely able to get out of bed. Well, that's not healthy either. So we might need to give you something to improve that cortisol, like actually give you some of the cortisol back, or maybe your cortisol has been high for a while, but it hasn't, you know, converted over yet. And so that has actually caused your progesterone to plummet that can cause anxiety. So maybe we need to give you some bioidentical progesterone and, you know, get your hormones level because hormones control every single thing in our body. So if they're off, there's no way we can actually say that you don't have a hormonal disorder versus, you know, anxiety. So when you start with a new patient, what, how do you begin the evaluation process? Are you doing blood work? Like, how do you measure all these things? I mean, yeah. my first thought is, 
gosh, we are such complicated beings. Like so much going on. Yeah. And so much to consider and look at before you just say you're having headaches, take this, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, well, let's look at the, the greater picture, which I love that you do that. The other thing that I think I'm just like, so fascinated and impressed by is you've lived so much of this, like so many facets of what you're helping other people with. So not only are you schooled and an expert from having studied it, but you've experienced it. So you have this amazing sense of compassion and understanding that like the average naturopath may not have if they haven't done all of that. I mean, I just think that's such an incredible, I'm sorry, you went through all the, (laughs) but really that's the huge gift that came out of it is your, your real understanding and relatability to, to anybody else who's going through that, Mm -hmm. that you're so equipped because you've been down that journey. I mean, cause it is easy for people to say, oh, well, you need to do this. You need to, you know, do these exercises and they're not that big of a deal, but if they haven't done them, it's, you know, it's like, you've lived through all of that. I mean, so many different facets of what you're helping people with. I mean, that's just, just so valuable and incredible. I mean, it's amazing, but back to the question. So tell me, (laughs) I know I digress. (laughs) So what does it look like when you bring someone new in and you're kind of creating a starting point? How do you do that? So when I have a patient that's one-on-one, we're still kind of hitting those root cause issues that are in my anxiety guide, if you will. Um, The thing about the, the anxiety course and the guide is that I'm taking, you know, cumulative of all my patients that struggle with anxiety. And these are the things that every single one of them is dealing with. And when we get these in line, they're able to heal and their anxiety goes away. But when I have a patient that comes in, when it's one-on-one, the first thing to understand is naturopathic visits are very different from a visit with your MD or your DO. So we are trained as primary care providers. So we're still going to do all the medical assessment that we need to do, but we spend a heck of a lot more time with you. So my first new patient appointment is an hour and 45 minutes. So almost two hours, just talking about you, your history, Um, I want to know everything in your life that got you into my office. So anything that happened, I need to know. And it's my job to really, you know, peel back the layers and find out what's pertinent and important to your case and what isn't. And then that history taking also allows me to best choose the labs for you because an issue you could get into is like, well, there's just so many things to be testing. This is going to cost a fortune, right? And we need to make sure that we're really addressing what needs to be addressed first. And we're getting labs on the things that are most important so that we're, you know, being considerate of your pocketbook, but also that we're not just frivolously testing everything under the sun, right? Yeah, so strategic, right? Yeah. So the first visit, we do that medical assessment. We do any labs that might need to be ordered. Sometimes it's specialty labs, which means that they're going to be testing things at more of a functional level rather than just drawing blood and seeing the reference ranges and looking for a high or a low. We're looking for, is this optimal for your living? And so for you as a woman, your age at your height and weight, it might be very different than 
you know, a 20 year old or a very different than a grown man, which a lot of research is done on. So we need to find out what's optimal for you. And also where your levels of, let's say a blood lab is comparing to other lab markers. So with your thyroid, we have multiple different panel or we have a panel that we run and there's multiple different markers for the thyroid. We're not just running the TSH, which is the signal of the brain to the thyroid. We're going to run what's the thyroid doing? What's the hormones that are coming out of that? How are they converting into active hormones? Are they being converted back into inactivity because of stress or because of trauma or, you know, what have you. And so we want to look at all of that and see how they're kind of dancing together, if you will. And then we do a second visit, which is just for the homeopathic intake. And again, that's a modality that I love and use with every patient, but that first visit is two hours. And then the second visit is two more hours diving even deeper. So it's a lot. <laughs> so I'm, I assume you ask questions about lifestyle and wellness mm-hmm. and eating and, you know, and then going into the symptoms too, like, how are you mm-hmm. feeling? And, you know, all of that stuff, I would guess. Right. Yeah. And we have, I think our intake paperwork is like, it's long. It's very long. I think it's like 15 pages, but we get, we want to know everything because you're like you said before, you're a very complex, beautifully made body. And we need to know how you're functioning in this world and why you're having these symptoms. Wow. So then you, do you create sort of like a roadmap of healing then from there? You, you create a program for that particular person. Yeah. So I definitely have, usually on the first visit, I'll have some recommendations of things that we can do to already get you some improvement in your life. But I don't love just throwing spaghetti on the wall and seeing what sticks. I want to see what's happening in your body. I want to see your labs because I could think of a million different supplements that might be helping you with fatigue, but if they're not addressing that root cause, then we're kind of wasting your time and money. And so I usually wait until labs to really give a full treatment plan, but Mm -hmm. to your comment about really living this out and having experienced this, I was really reminded of that the other day with a patient, she has a TBI. And the first visit, I asked her to give me a three day diet diary. And the next visit, she's like, I just I can't do that. And in my mind, I was like, Okay, what about one day? Like, where are you willing to meet me? And then as we got into talking about her symptoms more, I'm like, Oh, you literally can't because it's so difficult in, in her mind right now, because it's injured to even like play Tetris with how can I, how can I use my energy most? Like I, she's not even eating all day, every day because she can't even get her mind to wrap around that. And so I'm like, okay, first we just need you eating. So really trying to remind myself of where I was at the very beginning and I yeah. didn't eat three months. So really trying to use shared decision-making is what we were taught in school. And so really like, I'm not here to tell you what you should do in a like dogmatic or directly telling you what to do way. I'm here to say, these are some things that can help. What can you do and where can we meet in the middle and what feels good to you? You're teaching people to care for themselves. It's like, rather than giving them a fish, you're teaching them how to fish. You're Mm -hmm. teaching them how to own and embody and empower their own health and well-being. I mean, that's just amazing. And it's so, we're so ready for this right now. I think the world, the whole shift that's going on with the pandemic and just everything socially with the world, we all need to step into our empowerment 
be in charge of ourselves and decide for ourselves how we want to be and stop looking outside of ourselves for solutions when really all the solutions are inside. We just mm-hmm. sometimes need some guidance, guidance to yeah, find exactly. it. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. One of my favorite aphorisms, which there's like a Bible of homeopathy that the father of homeopathy wrote and aphorism nine talks about when you reach healing and your body, your physical body gets to this point of just a high quality of being able to function and your brain is functioning. The spirit that lives within you is able to live out your highest purpose for this life. And I really truly believe with all my heart that when I see women heal in my office, when I've healed, you're able to show up in life and help others heal. And you're able to go out and do what you were meant to do with your life. And so it's, it's really important to work with the patient for them to understand, like we are working on you healing yourself so that you can go out in the world and have that ripple effect. So what do you think? I think, especially with women, women have trouble just focusing on themselves, that it feels selfish to do that. But really, it's exactly what you're saying. It's the most important thing of all so that we can give back and be a healthy, wealthy, empowered person in this community and share with the world. But I think there's this hang up with women that we're just here to be background players. We're here to be supporting acts. We're here to not to empower and embody our greatness. And I think personal well-being, mental health, focusing on ourselves, like there has to be that little shift to, to realize how important it is that it's the most important thing, even though it feels almost counterintuitive that focusing on yourself is how you become your best self. So you can give the most, you know? Yeah. I don't think anyone just wakes up and thinks, Hey, I don't really like myself. So I'm going to put myself on the back burner. I think we have to think of like, where is it coming from that they were modeled this and taught this. And we know societally we are taught this for you know, I mean, just think how far women have come, but think where we've started and how long it's taken us to get here and how far we still have to go. And then also boundaries is a big thing. That's huge with anyone and everyone. I'm huge on boundaries. I had zero boundaries growing up. They weren't modeled to me. So I've had to learn a lot about boundaries. And especially if you're struggling with any mental health, you really have to learn your boundaries. And a big boundary is your self boundaries, right? And and that's discipline. And that's holding yourself accountable. And that's like being the parent to yourself when the child self is really wounded and hurting. And so learning boundaries is so important. And then another big piece is trauma. Almost all mental health can go back to trauma, whether that's physical or that's mental, emotional, but it doesn't always have to look like we call it big T trauma with a capital T versus little T trauma with a lowercase T big T trauma. We think of like sexual abuse or physical abuse or, you know, a brain injury or neglect, but that little T trauma, you know, it could be something as little as quote unquote, little as your, your parents didn't teach you how to have boundaries with work. They were workaholics and they put everything into work. And what they taught you was that if you're a good person, then you get a job, you work your butt off, you make some money and you retire. And so you grow up thinking I'm only worthy when I'm being very productive 
and when I'm like doing perfect at this way that life should have been. And so that like kind of shifts the belief in you, right? So to your point about not taking care of yourself, if you weren't modeled to take care of yourself, or if you were actually taught not to take care of yourself, like in a lot of codependent relationships that kids witness, they're taught not to take care of themselves, right? And so that's going into your belief system, that's going into your brain programming, that's almost the subconscious reality and perception of the way you live life. And so there's a lot of inner work to get to the point where you understand, oh, one, I'm not taking care of myself, but this is why, and this is the lie behind it. And this is how I need to change that. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think a huge part of, of healing trauma is first understanding it when you don't have a capital T trauma in your life. Like I didn't have that but you still have areas of your life that you know are unhealthy or you're not happy. It's taking the reflective time to ask the wise. Take, for example, you know, if you feel hurt in a certain situation or disappointed or frustrated, taking the moment to reflect on why do I feel that way? Why was I disappointed by that person? What was it about that? What is that feeling and where's it coming from? And what was the root? Why am I triggered by that? Why does it, when someone says something like that, where, why does that feeling come up and where is it? And where is, was the origin of that Mm -hmm. and really reflecting and feeling and understanding and digging into it. And it's like, you're saying, you know, looking into the layers and doing the inner work. And I think people say that all the time, oh, you need to do the inner work. But I think a lot of people don't even know what that means. And I Mm -hmm. think that's exactly what it is, is starting with awareness, and then starting to figure out how to let it go. Like, how can I not go back to those feelings? How can I empower myself and feel grounded and own who I am in this situation and not let when someone does that, you know, make me feel that way or whatever. The interesting thing is that like, you know, trauma is one of those words. It's almost like, it's almost like I'm saying Beetlejuice, right? People get scared. Their guard is up. They're like, I don't want a trauma. I don't have trauma, but we all have trauma. Or they think it's an exaggeration. It may not be a capital T trauma. I love that analogy, capital T and lowercase t but you're right. We all have different traumas and it, there's that tendency to, to downplay because someone has it worse. doesn't mean you didn't have a trauma from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that when you're able to identify the, the definition of trauma is just an, an incident, or maybe it's something that happened reoccurring where your body took on a stressor that was more than what it could handle. So you could be a three-year-old that, you know, stole a cookie from the cookie jar and your grandmother came downstairs and started screaming at you. That is too stressful for a three-year-old. And so that's traumatic. And maybe you carry that with you the rest of your life. You might not consciously know that, but that's trauma that's stored in the body. It changes our physiologic response. It changes our stress levels. It changes our hormones. And so we all have trauma and we all have a story to kind of unwind and really learn about. And so I think the thing you talked about was the awareness. And I think a lot of people don't even have awareness that that introspective, let me stop as I'm reacting and triggered 
and think about what's going on. People don't even have that connection, that awareness. And so a big place for that is starting with meditation. So meditation, even just 20 minutes a week, which is like two to three minutes a day, that starts to grow the gray matter in your brain. And the gray matter is the part of your brain where most of the neurons are, most of the thoughts that are firing. So when you're triggered by something, which we always say in mental health, if you're hysterical about something, there's a history there. So if you're feeling overly exaggerating, reacting to something, there's something underlying going on that's in your past. Maybe you remember it, maybe you don't, that you need to kind of think about. And so to get that pause, get that moment from this thing happened and here's my reaction, you have that moment of pause. It starts to develop that awareness when you meditate. It literally is growing it in your brain. And so really incorporating meditation is important but then also the journaling. I do a fun little technique that's um, used in CBT often with a lot of my patients called CTFAR. So it's basically uh, you just list out. I do. I tell them to do this before bed, about 10 minutes before bed, write in your journal, CTFAR, circumstance, thought, feeling, action, result. And the circumstance is just the facts of the situation. It never changes. This is just actually what happened. The result will always be evidence of the thought. So an example I give is, let's say the circumstance is that your husband was late for pickup, for picking the kids up. That's the fact. The thought is he doesn't pay attention to times. He, he's so irresponsible. I have to remind him of everything. You know, So that's the thoughts that are coming out. The feeling is I feel unsupported. I feel like he doesn't care. I feel like our kids aren't supported by him. I feel like he's checked out. I feel angry. I feel hurt. I feel sad. And then the action is that when I see him, I chew his ass out, (laughs) right? Because I'm annoyed. And then the result is we get into a fight and it's a big to do. Okay. So that's what actually happened today. Okay. That's what I'm going to say for my 10 minutes at bedtime. I'm journaling it out. Then you want to flip it. Okay. The circumstance never changes. So I'm going to write out the circumstance. My husband was late to pick up the kids and then, or ex-husband, and then the thought, feeling, action, result, the thoughts. I'm going to change my thought. What if I thought, oh, he was probably in traffic. He's doing the best he can. He just got off late for work. Hopefully he's making that good money to help me out, (laughs) you know? And then my feeling is at least I have someone to come pick up the kids. Thank goodness he was there. Thank goodness he actually showed up. I bet they're having the best time with, you know, the after school activities. And so I feel joyful and I feel safe and I feel secure and I feel happy for my kids. And then the action is when I get to see them, I hug my kids. I say, thank you so much. And then the result is we all go home happy. Right. So that's a way to kind of start rewiring your brain and unwinding the programming. And obviously you have this first scenario that didn't go so hot. And then the second scenario is like the idyllic world. But what happens is you are creating pathways in your brain to take a pausing moment and say, wait, what do I want to think? I don't have to instantly go with my emotions. How do I want to think about this? And what do I want to make the thought be? I think a lot of us, when we're triggered in that way, when something happens that where we get that reactive feeling, we react. And Mm -hmm. I think I love that that whole concept and tool to talk yourself through it and recreate a whole new story, which results in a whole new situation. I mean, what a great tool. I love it. I want to go back real quick because 
I want you, if you don't mind to repeat what the definition of trauma is. And the reason is because what, what caught me when you said that is trauma can be totally different for different people. And trauma is how you feel. It's not what someone perceives or decides to define as a trauma. It's defined Mm -hmm. by, it was a feeling that was bad for you. So can you, do you mind saying it one more time? Yeah. So trauma defined is just a stressor that is more stressful than what your body can physiologically handle at the time. So I think that's so crucial to allow yourself to admit that something was a trauma, even if it wouldn't have been traumatic to someone else, that Mm -hmm. it's okay. And it's literally your trauma. It's yours to decide. So someone can't tell you, no, that wasn't a trauma. You're fine. It's, you know, it's your deal and yours to as we talked about to feel into, to understand and meditate into so that you can understand where it came from. And that's where you find the healing. Cause once you have awareness and better understanding of the source is then you can choose this new approach. You could probably use the same method, right? To look at old traumas too, and to reframe them in your brain. Do you suggest doing that as well? I mean, with the the CTFAR, Mm -hmm. it's a good method for retraining and rewiring your brain and your thoughts for trying to dig into finding where something's coming from. I always say you don't want to ask a why question. When you ask yourself why questions, you can really theorize and just make anything up, right? So what I say is you should ask a what question. So if you, you know, had a, an argument today with someone and it, you know, you were really triggered by something journaling out, like, this is what happened. What made me think that? What made me do that? What made me act that way? What made me believe that? What caused me to do this <clears throat> and digging into the what? Because when you say, why was I upset? I mean, you can be like, cause they were a jerk. I mean, you can just say whatever you want right. to say, but it's- when you're saying what made me upset was that he did this and I didn't like it. What about that? Yeah. Didn't you like, what made you not like it? What does it make you feel when somebody does that? What makes you believe that's true? You know? So it, it just gets you yeah. dig- digging down quicker um, without right. getting sidetracked with the why. Yeah. So I would say more the what questions than like a CTFAR if you're trying to find your traumas. And I also think that understanding you don't have a trauma because you're too weak. You don't have a trauma because you just weren't smart enough or strong enough or animals experience trauma and they show it visibly. And so they have no guilt about their trauma. If you, (laughs) you see, you stop a deer and you see, like they always say deer in headlights, right? So if you, if you almost hit a deer and you stop right in front of them, you'll see that they'll shake as they leave, as they like walk off the road. And that's them, their physiologic body releasing the trauma. We adults don't do that. And so in the human world, we have a shock to our system, a stressor that's so strong that it's traumatizing physiologically to our system. Again, this is not a choice for it to be traumatic. It's physiologically happening. And then we hold it and we store it in our body. And so this happens in life all the time as children, as we grow up. And so 
as we get to this place in life, whether it's, you know, you had a divorce that happened and now it's making you really do that self-reflection or you had a brain injury, or you're just wanting to do more personal growth. Mm-hmm. It's going back and unwinding all of that. Yeah. So a couple more questions. I know we've been talking for quite a while and I could just go on and on. I have a lot of questions, but I did want to ask, so how do you integrate like therapy into your practice? Do you have, have recommendations for that? Is that part of, you know, what you might recommend for someone? Yeah, that's a great question. So I do holistic counseling with some patients if they would like to do it. Um, Oftentimes they love it. So I do 60 minute sessions of holistic counseling. I am not a trained counselor. So it is different than counseling in that we do a lot of that, like what questioning that I just talked about, I do that to you. And so I just keep digging and digging and digging and digging until you get to this underlying belief. And it's like, okay, do you want to keep believing that? And it's, it's a really therapeutic and very, it's a great, a great way of getting to those belief patterns and really changing them. But if you're needing more like a weekly or, you know, every two weeks, kind of a counselor to be that unbiased feedback for you to help you identify like, Hey, that's codependent patterns there. Or, you know, these are how we place boundaries and teaching you skills. Then I do recommend therapy, talk therapy. If it's more of a trauma that we're really trying to move through, I do not recommend talk therapy as much because I absolutely adore EMDR. So EMDR, if you're not familiar, is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And basically that's just a long tagline to mean that you're rewiring the brain from your trauma. So trauma kind of gets stored like a rat's nest in the back of your head. And it has all the emotions and all of the triggers and all the feelings just in this rat's nest. And so when we do EMDR therapy, you're actually kind of unwinding that nest and letting those pieces integrate into where they need to be in your brain. And by doing that, you're pulling out the emotionalism from the event. You're able to look at it in like a much more healed space, fully Mm -hmm. integrated into your nervous system. So I really, really like EMDR plus like three sessions of EMDR is equivalent to 300 talk therapy sessions. So it's just very quick and effective, but it is, it's, you know, you're going back through your traumas. You don't have to talk about them. Some people they do MDR and they don't even bring up what happened. So it's a really cool method or hypnosis. I really like as well. So hypnotherapy is great for those deeply ingrained belief systems or thoughts about yourself that like, you're like, I've journaled, I've counseled, I've done all the things and it's just still coming up. (laughs) You can do hypnotherapy and also EMDR is good for that as well. So do you have those resources? Do you do that? Do you have someone in your practice or do you have referrals? What does that look like if someone's going to go to those, those treatment routes? Yeah, generally I will, I have a few referrals for each of those routes. However, I also, you know, you have to work with your insurance and price ranges. And so there's like a lot of different factors to think about. So I help my patients learn how to vet out practitioners. So if you're looking for an EMDR therapist, I would EMDR therapy, it's so targeted that I would only go to someone that is amazing at it. It is not the kind of, you don't want to get into your brain and start moving things around without somebody who knows what they're doing. So I would go to someone who's on the MDRIA website. So it's emdria.org and look for an EMDR therapist. And I usually prefer that they've gone through at least like you can see on there how many trainings they've been through. I like them to be past the, the EMDR training one or training two. 
So I want them to have two under their belt. Those are like the two intensives that really get into the gist of it. And then you can also find people on there who are like instructors and they teach people. And I'm like, okay, you must be really good. Yeah. (laughs) And then I look for reviews on that. Um, And then things like craniosacral therapy. Like I said, we have a practitioner in our office who does that. Mm -hmm. I don't do EMDR. I don't do hypnosis. I do the holistic counseling. I don't do talk therapy. So yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that's helpful. Well, you're still a guide though. You can help refer out, Mm -hmm. you can help, you know, point the direction of where to go. That makes total sense. Yeah. And I would say about 99% of my patients are telemedicine. So I, um, I do like to help people understand how to look for their referrals and like how to vet people because I'm not in every state understanding every community. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's so great because a lot of people who follow see the upside are in different states. So that's really Mm -hmm. cool that you can help everybody all over the world. Really? Yep. So one last question, like little combination of questions. What about books? What books do you recommend? What are your favorite books? What are you reading now? Yeah. I have like a list of 15 books right next to my bed. So I'm the worst with it. I'm like that I too. Love, I love books and I'm always reading like multiple at once. I think for, for trauma in particular to really understand it and understand how it's stored in the body and kind of taking the shame and guilt out of trauma and understanding this is like a, a metabolic physiologic action happening. It's not my choice. I really like the book, The Body That Keeps the Score. And this doctor who wrote this book, it's, it's kind of dense. So take time reading it, you know, maybe a chapter a week. <laughs> the guy who wrote it is he's done so much research on EMDR therapy, but also on trauma. And he worked with like the non um, veterans coming back. You know, that's where EMDR has its roots is really a lot of was used in the research is based um, from EMDR yeah. off of the vets and, and their PTSD. So, so that's, a really great book for understanding just like the body more and trauma more. I I'm Christian and I really like this Christian author. I think it's Mark Baker, but he wrote a book called overcoming shame. And I think that was like a very profound book for me to read. And I think for a lot of people dealing with any kind of mental health or like emotions that feel like you're out of control, just really understanding like the shame that comes with it and the stigma that comes with it. And that's not something you have to carry. And there's a way out of that. So I really liked yeah. that book and he dived into shame. Anything by Brene Brown. I absolutely adore. Agreed. Um, I think everyone loves her. So there's, I mean, there's a lot of good books out there. I have a list on my website. It's called books that heal underneath the shop tab. I think it's like tons of books, all the books I love. So you can just go to the healthy psyche.com, go to the shop, and then you can find all the books I love. Love it. Okay. We'll have links for that. And I did want to mention that you have two courses, right? You have one that's oriented towards managing and healing anxiety. And the other one is focused on improving your sleep, right? Oh, so that actually got moved into the anxiety course. So it's oh, such a okay. key part. Well, it's of so anxiety. related. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> yeah. I know. I couldn't yeah. sleep at all when I first was going through my divorce. It was it was my biggest issue. And the problem is when you can't sleep, your brain can't function properly and you, and you can't even heal because you're too tired to even do anything that you need. So it's like this mad cycle, you know, that you can't get out of because you can't sleep. Yeah. And that's a good point that, so in healing, 
you need to be in the parasympathetic state. You need to be in that rest, relax and digest state. And so when you're in an extreme stressor, like going through divorce or a custody battle or anything like that, it's really difficult for your body to heal. And so we have to do things to move you back into that parasympathetic state so that we can get you healing and sleep is a huge piece of that. My course is it's, it's based on anxiety. That's how I market it, but it's really good for burnout. It's really good for, you know, depression, um, these sleep issues. I mean, that's burnout is the number one thing that's come out of COVID. And so a lot of people who are taking the course, they really truly have burnout that's presenting like anxiety. And so they're taking the course and they're realizing, Oh, like this was really burnout and I can heal from this too. And so you know, I might need to rename it if it's like so overarching umbrella, but it's called the anxiety course. And we're actually going through a revamp. So in the next few months, we're going to really upgrade it quite a bit. And I'm excited about that. Oh, that's great. Good. Well, we'll have links for all of that Mm -hmm. in the show notes and links to all of your social media, your website, your book list, anything else that you wanted to cover that we didn't talk about today? I don't think so. I mean, we, we hit, we hit a lot, everything. Yeah. yeah but this was so, so much good. fun. I appreciate you having me on and I'd love to talk again. Yeah. Thank you so much. You were, I just feel like I grew leaps and bounds in the past hour. Like I just soaked it all in and I'm dying to take your course. I'm doing it. I mean, I'm so excited. <laughs> awesome. so I'll tell everybody how amazing it is. And actually I, I, I did forget to mention something. So yeah. for your audience, I'll do a discount. So I do a $50 discount and we'll make the code STU. Awesome. Love it. That's so great. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. You're welcome. Love just watching you on social media, all your recommendations and getting to know you. You've got so much wisdom and experience and just can't wait for everybody to dig into all the resources that you have to offer. It's so, so amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for joining today's episode of See the Upside podcast. For more details about today's guest and show notes and links, visit our website at seetheupside.com. You can find us on Instagram at see.theupside and Facebook at seetheupside. If you love today's show, please spread the light by giving us a rating or sharing it with a friend. We appreciate you so much and love sharing the positivity with anyone who could be inspired by it. We're all on a beautiful journey and it's so much more fun doing it together and sharing our stories with each other along the way. Can't wait till next time.